Hi everyone, this is Mike Vinoy with Assure. Uh, today we're gonna unpack what we're calling the ABCs of ADA, FMLA, and LEAD laws. ADA, American Disabilities Act, FMLA, the Family Medical Leave Act. Uh, this is an area I think where uh, we see employers get in trouble all the time, especially smaller organizations, growing organizations, where uh, they understandably take a pretty simplistic view. Maybe they have a vacation policy, uh, maybe more progressively have a PTO policy. They don't care what the, the, the time off is used for. And maybe they have a, a, a sick policy. And so uh, here's your, your sick time, here's your PTO time. And they might be saying yes or no to different types of leave requests uh, based on what they think is fair. And they're probably not that far off. Um, uh, but the, the law is getting increasingly more complex in this area where uh, the trend is clearly you have your big federal laws, right, ADA, FMLA, um, but increasingly there are state versions of these laws. There are even local versions of these laws, uh, and sometimes they don't all jive together. So knowing which type of leave to allow employees, which types not to, that you're not obligated to, to, to provide, um, can be really tricky. And if you get it wrong, uh, the, the, the penalties can be pretty stiff. So uh, this is an area that uh, it, it's e easy to oversimplify, but you really kind of got to get smart on this and understand, at least in the big picture, what are the major types of leave that employees are legally entitled to? Uh, and then what size employers are we talking about? If you're a two-person company, do you still have to do this, uh, uh, follow this type of leave? versus a 25 versus a 50 versus a 250 employee company, because that just makes it more complex. The bigger you are, uh, the more laws apply to you. So I uh, have a great guest today to unpack this information. Uh, if you're a regular watcher of the show, you know Mary. Uh, uh, so Mary's our Vice President of HR Consulting at Assure. Uh, also for the last eight years, uh, she's been an adjunct professor, professor with the New York Institute of Technology. Uh, and prior to uh, Assure, uh, Mary's had a lot, held a lot of roles, including Director of HR Consulting uh, for a 55-year-old HR consulting law firm in New York. So uh, about as credentialed uh, and articulate as a, as a guest as I could hope for on this topic. So welcome, Mary. Thank you, Mike. Okay, so th this might sound like a stupid opening. Uh, <laughs> but what, what, what are we talking about when we say leaves? So it's it's not because it's it's a really good question and and um, just to go back to your opening, I will tell you that I was on a call with a 300 employee uh, employer the other day, and when I started talking about some of these leaves, they also had no idea. And you are right, Mike, in that these leaves are federally, state, or locally driven. Um, but beyond the organization looking at it like, oh, I have to do this, right now during the great resignation, this is a key factor to keeping, retaining, and attracting new employees. So there's things that we have to do, right? But as employers, we should be looking at it like we want to do it um, for retention and recruitment and also culture, right? People need time off. 
They need time off to take care of their families, to take care of themselves for health issues, but they also need time off to recharge themselves. So leaves um, are time off, and this can be paid or unpaid, right? So the different leaves that we're gonna describe today and explain a little bit today um, can be for illness, as I said, caring for family members, disability, military leave, uh, voting, jury duty, um, things like that, you know, that I think a lot of employers might think about the big things like the FMLA, but they're not thinking about the different jury duty uh, that they have to give and what pay goes with maybe a voting leave. So there's a lot of information that we're gonna go over today, but we would need a full day to go into these in great detail. Uh, and this is what our team does on a daily basis for our employers uh, because it is so complex. And it, on top of it being complex, Mike, it changes all the time. And the laws are really trying to adapt to the new remote workforce, right? So let's not forget that a lot of organizations are still remote. You know, here in New York City, only 30% of the workers are back at work. And that will change as we go into our descriptions, what laws are applicable to what employers? Because they may have had all of their employees in one state, and now they've got them in multiple states, and that's gonna change things. So the leaves, as you said, do uh, change depending on how many employees they have. So the Family Medical Leave Act, which is a federal law, is for 50 or more employees. Uh, the Americans with Disabilities is 15 plus. And then other state laws are going to be one to 100 employees, depending. You know, yesterday I was on a call with an employer and they're like, well, we only have five employees. And I said, but you're in California. <laughs> So there's still going to be leaves that you have to give. And again, I think some employers may be listening to this call and saying, well, why are states mandating, for example, paid sick leave? Of course, I give my employees time off for sick leave, but not all employers do. So on the federal level, there is no mandate for sick leave. Biden does have it in, you know, buried in some of his, you know, wish list for what he wants to put through. And many of the states have started to mandate sick leave. But from where I sit, dealing with all of the employers all over the country that we um, assist every day on their HR, there are still employers who do not have a sick leave policy, mandated or not. And that's why some of these um, municipalities like Berkeley, Los Angeles, Oakland, right, all of New York State. Um, and then even though New York State has the law, New York City has a separate sick leave policy. And so does Westchester County. Um, so, again, it makes it very difficult for employers to interpret how to now adopt these policies in their locations or location, even if they're in one location, it really becomes confusing. 
Yeah, and, and I think maybe fair to say for everybody today. So, uh, in future shows, I want to kind of go deep and and we'll revisit these topics. Um, you know, I mean, we could have a whole long series on just FMLA, but at least one where we go just FMLA, one just ADA, one uh, uh, even though it's not federal uh, voting uh, leave. Uh, there are so many different types. I think that each one probably deserves its own dedicated hour. Um, but the purpose, I think, of today's conversation is to understand the context of, of basically what are the big ones, what are the big federal ones? More importantly, how do they relate to each other? And then how do you decide, are you as an employer uh, obligated to comply? How do you go through this decision process? And then what employees for different types uh, are eligible. So I'd say today is probably a, a more of a holistic overview. Uh, and then in future shows, we'll, we'll dive deep. Is that fair, Mary? Hey, that's exactly right. I need employers. We wanna educate um, the employers that are listening so that they understand the breadth of the leaves and the concept of it and start to take a deeper dive. And you, you know that we're always available to, to assist our clients with this. This is kind of what we do all day, every day. <laughs> right. So without, the intention isn't to scare anybody, but this should scare you a little bit if you don't actually know all of these. Could you kind of just take us through a laundry list of the, the federal ones, probably, maybe not so much. People probably have a general understanding but even though it, it varies state by state, municipality by municipality, kind of a laundry list of some of the leave types that are out there that, uh, you know, depending on your situation, geography, size, et cetera, sometimes even industry um, uh, that you must comply with. Right. So we did already, you know, discuss FMLA and ADA. Those are your two big federal leave laws, right? But there also is USERRA which is, and, and the reason we chose our topic ABCs because we like to use acronyms in human resources because right. a lot of these leaves have such long names. But USERA is a military leave. Um, so that is also something that employers need to be aware of. And then on the state side, some of the leave laws that have popped up are the sick and safe time leave laws, right? So um, is the uh, employee or family member sick or do they need safe time for any kind of domestic abuse? There also is, you know, um, leave laws in certain states with, for emergency responders um, or, um, and then of course, we know that there is a leave for workers' compensation. So even though that's not strictly, wouldn't fall under leaves, what we're trying to do is give employers an idea of what reasons could employees not be at work and things that we want you to be aware of so that we keep you compliant and away from any kind of litigation, but also keeping your employees uh, retained and productive, right? Because your employees are entitled to these leaves. And when they're entitled to these leaves, they should get them. But we need to have some guardrails around all of them to make sure that the employees don't take advantage, right? So, you know, we had an example of when, of an employee who was out, um, 
because she felt like she was being treated disrespectfully at work. And the employer came to me and said, the employee just said she gets time off. And I said, she does because you're in California and that's gonna fall under the sick leave law. And then the employer said, well, I'm asking her for a doctor's note. Doesn't she need a doctor's note? And I said, no. So that's something else that we're gonna, we're gonna talk about. We also have voting leaves, as I said before. Um, some states have particular voting leaves. In New York, it could, it could make you insane because we had a voting leave law, it was four hours. Then they dropped it back the next year to three hours and then they, um, or it was three hours, they upped it to four hours and then they made it three hours again. So, you know, you know, who's making these decisions? I don't know. But what I do know is it's very confusing for employers. And, and, and that's what we're happy to help with. There's also crime victim leaves. There's domestic violence or stalking leave. Um, okay. And then there's you, things. Mary, can sorry. you just take a minute when you say crime victim leaves? What, 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 what is that even? If you're a victim of a crime, there is in certain states time off that you can that you can take. And in most cases, that's falling under the safe leave. So in New York and California, Westchester and New York City, they started with sick leave policies and then they expanded them for New York. They expanded it two years after it came out, California. Um, it, updated it a little bit quicker. So, you know, again, that's the other thing. This is why we like to look at handbooks every six months with our employers, because this is how often things change, but they added a safe leave to the sick time. And that yeah. is usually for domestic violence and or um, a victim of a crime. And, and that's what's gonna fall under that. And then of course there's nursing mothers. And, you know, I, when we're writing handbooks, you know, this is a policy that has to go into um, most employers' handbooks. And I've worked with construction companies. They're like, I don't need that. I have all, all men. And I'm like, put it in, in case you hire that, that, that one female into your firm, um, you know, and, and you're already prepared for it. And that nursing mothers, um, leave uh, and it, it it's more of a of a policy of how much time they get how many breaks they get um to pump or you know some you know if they have you know babysitting downstairs go down and actually um you know breastfeed their children it's you know again new york has taken that upon themselves to make it it's literally two pages long um and then, of course, you always want to look, since we're talking about leaves, we also want to sort of work in here that there are meal and rest break laws for different industries, for different um, states, municipalities, et cetera, um, even so far as day of rest that, you know, what was happening is employers were scheduling employees for, to work seven days a week. And so that triggered some laws being being you know put forth that say, oh no, after a certain amount of time, you have to give your employees a day of rest. And, and it, it may sound ridiculous that they had to have a law like that, 
but there's a reason for all of these laws and that's because employers were doing you know things like having employees work seven days a week week after week after week obviously or maybe not obviously there is of course um pregnancy leaves and it's gonna fall usually under ada and then there's also state disability leave so there's only believe it or not six states that have mandatory state disability and those state disabilities um as you said and we're going to get into how these things different leaves intersect with each other but but those leaves are very very important for those employers who have it mandated to look at. And of course, employers can have their own disability over and above what the state gives, or if their particular state doesn't provide disability, short and long-term. And then there is also bone marrow and organ donor leave that employers need to give up to four hours, doesn't have to be paid. But again, this is one of those leaves that we are putting in employee handbooks to A, help our employers be compliant, and B, it also helps with retention, right? What a great thing that the organization gives time off um, for situations as we've mentioned for all of these leaves it really can help retention and recruitment for employers that was a lot yeah. right mike well, it's, it, a lot. It, it's a ton and, and here would maybe be my guidance so uh employers who are you know in uh, who, who are in new york uh state they're in california you know they they might not be surprised by a word you just said um and folks in the middle of the country uh, might think, oh, well, that just that just applies to to the blue states, not the red states. And, and we're not being political. All we're doing is trying to share the very best information we can from for employers. Uh, but I would encourage everyone to think about the legislation that's happening in the in the HR trends of increasingly increasing complexity around state and municipalities on the coasts is the canary in the coal mine for the rest of the country. There, it, as a trend, um, we don't take laws away, we only add laws, right? Uh, right. You, you almost right. never see ad laws coming off the books or being replaced by new ones, they're, they're additive, right? And uh, increasingly, uh, laws will, whether you love these laws or hate these laws, it doesn't matter, increasingly the laws that are passed are there to uh, protect employees, not employers. And so the burden will continue to get heavier on, on employers and the long laundry list that uh, Mary just rattled off, I, it's gonna do nothing but get longer and uh, as an employer, maybe frustratingly complex and specific as you think industry by industry, municipality, municipality, municipalities layered on top of states, on top of federal, um, this, this is a tidal wave that, that is already starting to hit the shores, it, it, but it's gonna, it's gonna keep on coming. Is there anything you'd wanna say before we kind of move on to the next, next topic around determining which leaves apply? So I, I think it's important what you said that New York and California, Massachusetts is, is another state that, that has a lot of these laws, even Connecticut, that they're probably not surprised. I think what might 
surprise them is how these laws interact, which we're going to talk about later. It's not enough to know that these laws exist. There are you know, compliance issues that you have to stay up to date with. And then there's triggering these, what triggers them, and we're, we're going to talk about that. But again, without spending a full day or a full week explaining this, there's a lot to it. And it's always going to be a little bit different depending on which employee it is and what their particular circumstances are and who the employer is. And that's what keeps my job interesting, Mike, and my whole team, because we are helping our clients with their particular situations, which are always going to be a little different. And then for the states that are saying to themselves, you know, I'm in Iowa and I don't hear you, Mary, mentioning Iowa at all. These are best practices. So what I always try to help our employers with are the laws, right, that we're talking about today, but also best practices. And we're in a unique position dealing with multiple states, multiple organizations, profit, nonprofit, and different industries to help our employers with best practices, right? How can we, on the HR side, strategically help the organizations we work with to grow their ROI, right? And there's a lot of different ways you can do that. One of those ways is listening to best practices. I don't have to give sick leave in my state, but I'm going to because it sounds like a best practice. It sounds like a lot of other organizations. And right now you're competing for the best talent nationally and internationally. So you need to look at these leaves on what is being given in other states to be able to attract people, the best talent across the nation. Mary, that, I think that's just so spot on. So, um, you know, we're not living in Upton St. Clair's the jungle anymore, right? I mean, we don't have, that was pre-FMLA, we have overtime laws, we have child labor laws, um, uh, people aren't running sweatshops in, in, in the U.S. Um, but when you think about best practices, the war for talent is real. You know, uh, wars and election cycles and pandemics make us think about unemployment rates as political events. Um, but the war for talent, this, this has been baked based on birth rates uh, and workforce participation rates for 30 years that we know, have known all along, right about now, that uh, demand for labor was going to outpace supply of labor uh, in the U.S. This is this is publicly available information has been for a very long time, um, and so this isn't just some post-pandemic war for talent we have. This is this is the this is the new future. This is the, the new normal, and so if you're going to attract the you you're, so you're in a competition for the best talent, right? And it's not just across the country. It could be across the street. If you're a restaurant A competing against restaurant B across the street, employees have a choice of where they go. And those who have the most employee-friendly policies, AKA best practices, are they're gonna get the best people or even people at all. So I think I think well said, Mary. Let's let's jump ahead and just talk about kind of okay, so even if you don't know all the laws that apply, how do you determine uh, uh, you know, w w which leave types uh, apply to different circumstances? 
It's a really good question. And this is something that our employers are asking us every day, right? Because it often depends on the number of employees you have. But, and here's a big but, um, how do you define your employees? So we have a lot of restaurants that are clients of ours. And so a lot of times those employers are looking at counting the number of employees solely by, all right, I have you know three restaurants in um, Iowa, and you know they're a couple miles apart, but there's only 20 in each of them. So FMLA doesn't apply, okay? But that's not true, right? Because FMLA, if they're within a certain mileage of each other, it's going to apply number one. And number two, employers also will trigger a joint number, right? Um, for different laws, right? Because some don't have that, you know, um, 75 mile radius like FMLA. It's just, if you have this many employees in X state, this, will, this law will apply to you. Um, and they may say, yeah, but we have three different entities. Ah, but if there's joint employment, now you have to include that number. So the number of employees that apply to a certain law can be tricky and it's a little bit different for each of them, right? There's no like hard, fast rule, right? Because each state is creating it differently. And even on the federal side, they're gonna count the employees. Are they counting? full-time? Are they counting part-time? Are they counting seasonal? You know, when are they counting temporary employees to be eligible for, for these leaves? And a lot of times they're looking at FTEs versus bodies. And FTE stands for full-time equivalent, right? right? So, you know, a 40-hour work week. So two 20-hour part-timers is going to be one FTE. So counting the employees, it sounds really easy. It is not. Um, and, and we do help employers with this all the time. And then the other thing that is that sometimes will be a factor is the income. So New York paid uh, sick, safe leave. Um, if you have less than four employees, you only have to give it unpaid. But if you have... Uh, more than a million um, in net income than it is paid, right? And depending on how many employees you have, it is different. Um, and usually the law is going to count the people for where they work, okay? So where they work, hmm, that becomes a little bit confusing when you have salespeople, right? So let's just take an example i had an employer they happened to be in new york um, but not in new york city we're writing their handbook for them i said well do you have any employees who work more than 80 hours in new york city uh yeah i have truck drivers and salespeople. 80 hours in a year? Well, that's not a lot. Yeah, I do. 
that is going to trigger a lot of the New York City laws. So now that handbook has to have a New York City addendum. We need to get together with those New York City employees and explain those leaves and how they differ from the New York leaves. It becomes very confusing and there's nuances to each of these. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I'm not even, I haven't even, you know, tapped the remote workers, right? So right. we had an employer call us the other day and they're like, we just started calling our employees back. So I know that half the country went back to work you know, back, you know, June of 2021. Many, many employers went back, right? The reopening, but many employers did not. This April 1st happened to be like another, you know, date that a lot of employers were triggering to go back to work, right? And so a lot of the issues that we had back in, in June are resurfacing. So we had an employer call us and say, okay, I don't know what to do. We told everybody to come back to work in Texas. And one of my employees said, oh, I can't do that. Why? Because I live in Florida now. <laughs> I mean, never told the employer. So you can see, Mike, where, you know, so now that employee, depending on how long he stays in Florida and whether or not he can remain remote, which is a whole nother issue, but it does tie back to these leaves um, is something that this employer has to look at. He may need an addendum even for one employee in a different state. I can tell you New York and California for sure, you would need an addendum, but this, it does also tie back to the leave laws because this employee is now saying he can't work in an office for ADA reasons. Right, so all of the leaves intersect at some point. We have to, as employers, look and study, right? It is studying, there's a lot here. What right. laws are gonna be triggered? What leaves, when, what overlaps, etc. And it's so hard because you don't know what you don't know. If I'm an employer That's right. in, Oklahoma, in Oklahoma and I have, largely an on-premise brick and mortar workforce. Um, but you know, some people can do a little bit remote once in a while, you know, somebody's sick, they work from home. Uh, hey, can I take the next two weeks and my, my mom is not well, she lives in New York City. I'm not gonna take PTO, I'm gonna dial in every day, I'm, I'm gonna work the whole time. Is that okay? Sure. Well, two weeks at 40 hours each, that's 80 hours. They just triggered all of a sudden you as the Oklahoma employer are now on the hook for all the compliance requirements of New York City of which are completely foreign to you, right? Right. And then when you talk about FMLA, I was on the phone with an employer the other day and um, she, you know, I said, you know, how many employees do you have? She said 44. And then further in the conversation, she goes, oh yeah, you know, one of the issues that I need help with is managing FMLA. And I said, well, you said you only have 44 employees. You're not eligible for FMLA. And she said, oh, well, last year we had 80. So last year, like six months ago, um, they're a cyclical business. Um, we had 80 employees. And I said, how long did you have 80 employees? And she said, oh, most, most of last year. Well, we're only in, you know, the beginning of April here. So as an employer, 
if she had more than 50 employees for 20 or more weeks, work weeks, in the preceding calendar year, she's gonna have to give FMLA this year. And I see her my feverishly writing notes and I'm like, don't worry, I got you, right? That's what we're here for, to help you with, with things like this. But I say all the time, you cannot contract around the law. So I'll be on calls with, you know, employers that are a little educated, right? You know, and, and you know, look, we're experts in HR. I, I eat and breathe this with my team. Um, you know, employers are busy running their business, right? This is, this is our lane. But they'll say, well, I try to stay under 50 employees because I don't want to give FMLA. And I'm like, well, what do you mean you try? And they're like, well, I go above 50 a couple times during the during the year. Depending on what that is, we have to look at whether or not they are now FMLA eligible. So again, um, I know, like you said, we don't want to scare employers and we don't. We're trying to educate everybody on the call to understand the depth of each of these leaves. Yeah, I mean, this sounds like a crass way of saying it. We're, we're, we don't want to intentionally scare anybody, but if you're not scared, you're probably not paying attention because this is this is ridiculously complex. Unless you have, unless you're under call it five employees and everybody works from the same location in the same state, um, this this is this gets really complex really really fast. So, <clears throat> okay. Um, so, Mary, I feel like the, I want to I want to provide clarity to our to our listeners today. Um, in, in the punchline here is almost in order to determine which leave laws apply, you have to know all of them, and no one does. So, and, and this is not an overt sales pitch for for sure, but obviously you could hire us, you could hire an attorney, you could hire a a, a, a full a, a certified. SHRM certified HR professional, all of which those options, you know, there's obviously expense. Um, how, how do you see most employers attempting it today? I think I think it's Google, right? I think when I'm speaking to employers before they engage us, they say, you know, I'm Google searching and I'm losing a lot of sleep. I'm looking over my shoulder all the time. So I know I told you this, but the other day I was on the phone with an employer and he really got it. And he said, you know what? You guys are the best insurance that I can have. It is the most cost-effective way to protect my organization, right? Yeah. And a lot of times employers will say to me, I've never had an issue. And I said, well, you probably never had an issue with your car either. Do you have car insurance? Do you have life insurance? I mean, this is, you know, beyond being having an issue, right? I don't want anybody to have any issues. Um, that's not the point. The point of having HR support is to also, again, help your employees be as productive as possible. And, you know, listen, we all, we're always trying to get to that strategic level, right? You know, how can the human resource function help the organization to grow? And there's a lot of ways that we can do that. And managing these leaves properly is a big way to do that right very and I, important and I, and I think the painful answer is how do you determine which leave laws apply 
you literally have to know all of them that apply to not just your physical location of your business, but all of them that apply to where you do business and where your employees perform work, not just uh, the residents on on their uh, I-9 form, right? So exactly. uh, I'm looking at the clock. I'm gonna, I'm gonna move us to the employee side. Um, again, I think it's probably self-evident by now, uh, determining which employees are eligible for these leave types it's going to depend on all the factors you already talked about. It's geography, it's industry, it's how many employees you even have in the first place. Um, but but give some guidance to the to employers listening today uh, about how they th should think about approaching this problem in, in, in assessing who is and is not eligible for these leave types. Right. So you know, as you you pretty much said it, but there are waiting periods for a lot of these laws, right? So a lot of them don't kick in for a couple of months. A lot of them start right away. Um, and it's really important to have a really good, um, you know, time and attendance system because a lot, because a lot of it besides a waiting period is after you've worked a certain amount of hours, like FMLA, after you've worked uh, 1,250 hours. So a part-timer can be eligible but it's going to take them longer to be eligible because they're working less hours you know per week um and then there also is um the added you know confusion of you know temporary workers you know and you know that that's a whole nother subject that we will probably have a future uh webinar on which is you know what is temporary that's that's not a legal term um, and employers have to be really, really, really careful, especially when they're calling people, employees and workers temporary, and it lasts more than three months, it will probably trigger a lot of these laws. Yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's good advice. So, so is it fair to say, Mary, that um, determining which laws the employer must comply with is one side of the same coin, and this is the other side of the same coin, of determining which employees are eligible in the in the, the harsh punchline is you have to know all the laws you have to know all the laws that apply to you and uh, each law the 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 triggers and the variable the variables I should say are geography industry uh, uh, number of employees and number of employees depending on the law can be determined many different ways sometimes it's just total number of humans that work. Sometimes it's an FTE calculation. Sometimes there's seasonal. Uh, uh, sometimes there's not. But it, but it's really those three buckets, isn't it? It's it's geography, industry, and sizes of employer based on employee count. Am I yeah, about that? yeah I'd, I'd say that's an hours worked. If if, I, I, if you said that or not, I don't know. But hours worked and where they work. So when you say geography, it's usually triggered by where they work not where the organization is, although there are exceptions and that's what that's what makes it confusing. Is yeah, they're and all that, different. And there, yeah, and, and there's that's that uh, I'm gonna work for two weeks in New York City while visiting family uh, scenario comes in, right? I think maybe more practically speaking, um, you're an employer in St. Louis uh, in uh, you were a brick and mortar location-based company and so you paid all, all, all the work was performed for your business 
uh, in the city of St. Louis. Uh, but then during the pandemic, people started working from the home and maybe 20% of your workforce lived in Illinois and drives across the river. Uh, but now they're working from home. Now, it's a whole different, now you're, it's Illinois' laws that you're subject to uh, because of the work being performed there. So this, this right. is where we've crossed this tipping point. Uh, the pandemic has accelerated it, but I, it is for sure a new normal around where, where the work is performed, how many hours, FTEs, et cetera, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, do you have some examples that you wanted to share to, to kind of, I think specifically maybe around like uh, paid family leave? Yeah, I mean, I think I gave some examples on that. I think it's even, uh, you know, more important that we talk about how to determine whether there is a qualifying event or not, um, because this is one of the things that we see most of the lawsuits being triggered and the qualifying events especially when it comes to fmla there's a lot of litigation right now um, because of the term and a you know in quotes serious health condition employers should not think of themselves as doctors a doctor will make that determination turning down um, a lot of FMLA leaves um, can get them into trouble. And, you know, as you said in my description, I teach a college course uh, for, you know, HR um, that, is, that is written by SHRM. And one of the things I start off that class saying is for those new HR people, consistency is very, very important. And that's what we try to help employers with because we see and hear about so many of these leaves and what triggers it and what's a qualifying event, we can help the employers make these decisions on what is going to be a qualifying event. What's a serious health condition? You know, when and and should, you know, we be triggering baby bonding, et cetera. So those are, I think, you know, the examples that, that we usually give, you know, um, or that I see is, you know, when to determine whether it's a qualifying event. This is where we really get into the meat of things, Mike. Um, and yeah. many state leaves are going to allow time for to care for a sick child or family member as well as FMLA. So where do they intersect? What's the definition of family members? It, FMLA is different than sick leave. Um, and from state to state, the definition of family member can be different, right? Some have in-laws, some don't. Some have domestic partners, some don't. Um, you know, some have, you know, who is standing in as loco parentis? Um, and, you know, can you, you know, care for a sibling, grandparent, et cetera? There is a lot of differences when we talk about you know, triggering these events, right? So now we're even getting, you know, into more detail. So that is definitely another piece of unpacking and understanding how to um, provide these leaves compliantly for our employees. Yeah, Mary, I think the, 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 the point that I would want to emphasize there is, I think it on the head, you're, don't try being the doctor, right? Try to, <laughs> Obviously, we, we've set this. We've set the stage here that the 
You simply have to know the laws. You have to read them. You have to understand them. You have to comply with them. Interpret to the best of your ability, but maybe more important than anything, maybe not more, but as important is that you apply them consistently. You can't say, oh, this is a great employee, high performer. Um, I, you know, we'll, we'll wiggle a little bit on, on playing doctor, how sick they are, or their family member is, but we don't like this employee. They're a, they're a poor performer. Um, but yeah, the, the, are they really sick? Is that family member really sick? It's those kinds of in, inconsistencies that will just crush you because that's, it's that same employee who's the underperformer is the one that's, you're, you're going to land up, uh, end up in a department of labor investigation or in, in court. Uh, or settling outside of court for a whole bunch of money. Am I, am I saying that right? You are. And, and, you know, that's why, you know, one of the trainings that we give to our employers that we provide for managers is, you know, proper disciplinary action, right? Because it's all tied together, right? Because, you know, employers will call us and go, I have to terminate somebody, but they're out on disability. And I'm like, well, you're not going to do that today. <laughs> Let's walk through how we're going to do it. Tell me what kind of paperwork and documentation you have for poor performance. So the employment relationship with the employer is all tied together. And these leaves need a lot of attention. Um, and, you know, as we move forward into determining the regulatory requirements, we even get deeper into the specifics of each of these laws, right? Because as we said before, some are paid and unpaid. Most of the time, you can use as a general rule of thumb, but in HR, you never say never and you never say always, right? Yeah. The unpaid leaves like an FMLA can overlap with another leave, right? Um, so this is one of the things that our employers are constantly asking guidance for, right? Because a lot of times they'll say, well, somebody just went out on disability because she gave birth and now she wants to take New York paid family leave, which does cover bonding. And then after that, she wants to take FMLA. But what we're going to guide them to do is to run FMLA concurrent. And again, what's in your handbook? What does your handbook say? We should be setting expectations. And when this employee goes out, we should ex be explaining to this individual, these are the leaves that you're eligible for. This is the paperwork. This is the expectation that we have. We need a doctor's note. We need a return to work. You know, there's a lot of communication that has to happen so that we are compliant and so that we are doing these leaves within the culture that, you know, the organization has, right? Um, when traditionally, when somebody's taking a leave, you know, they're not in the best place, right? Um, unless it's a leave like, like jury duty, and they're probably not happy about that. But when we talk about the medical leaves, you know, you know, a new mom is not, you know, prepared to fill out the paperwork, right? So how are we setting those expectations? When are we sending the paperwork, right? And a lot of these laws, I will tell you, state disability 
you know, says right in the regs for, you know, the states that provide it, and so does FMLA, that a lot of the heavy lifting is to be done by the employee. But I'm here to tell you, Mike, that I see lots of case law where the employee says, you never told me. Mm -hmm. That's not in the regs for those laws, but we need to be telling our employees, again, tying back to retention and attraction and to a good culture, they're entitled to these leaves. We need to be triggering them for, for those employees, explaining to them, you know, this particular leave can be taken all at once, intermittently, you know, and, and again, that's going to help the productivity of the organization because we want to know up front where possible how the employee is going to take their leave. Again, tying back to really good timekeeping because you need to have a system that is going to keep really good records for you of when this employee took their leave, right? Are you putting into the HRS system? I, I sent a request for a doctor's note, right? A return to work note, you know, uh, asking them for additional paperwork from their doctor, et cetera. That needs to be done and communicated and documented so that we can prove that we did it, right? You don't want your employees stacking their leaves, right, where possible. And then the one thing that we really haven't talked about a lot, Mike, is you, most employers probably already have time off, right? So where in that particular law do they have a trigger where, you know, if, you know, for New York, for example, you need to have a policy that says you need to take your PTO before certain leaves can be triggered. It has to be in the handbook that is given to the employees. And then in Washington state, you know, they have certain laws where they say you can't mandate the use in certain, you know, arenas for taking their PTO. So they, you know, and you can't in certain circumstances, you know, stack the leaves. So again, you know, this is a full-time job keeping up with all of this. And, and I can tell you that because I'm reading an article or listening to a webinar as well as giving webinars on pretty much a daily basis. Um, and that's why we're happy to help, you know, the employers uh, get through all of these different, you know, leaves that they can take, that their employees can take. Yeah, so I'm gonna go to the next topic here, but uh, again, the, the punchline we repeat is, uh, you have to, you simply have to know the laws in either you or someone who represents you has to know the laws. There, there just is no other way around it to know if you as an employer have to comply, what employees are eligible to determine the regulatory requirements. Um, the thing that just from practical real life, and you said it well, Mary, it, I think so many times employers think, well, you know what, I know I'm probably not compliant in all areas, I've got a small team, we're like family. No one's gonna report me for doing something innocently wrong. No one's gonna sue me. Um, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll work with me if something is wrong, right? Um, but people, people aren't the same when, it, these laws are built for people at their worst, 
right? All of a sudden, I, I go from healthy, all of a sudden, uh, I come back from the doctor and I have some news that fundamentally changes my life and therefore my relationship with my employer, right? Or my child uh, gets a doctor, a, a diagnosis that fundamentally changes the priorities in my life and my relationship with my employer. And uh, right, right. you have to build your, you have to build a humane handbook and that that thinks ahead about those situations, but also protects you because what the employee that you think is a family member today, if you're doing it wrong and unwittingly illegal, it could still blow up on you and does every day because because that's what we see every day, right? Let's uh, I, I'm looking at the clock. I better move us along. Uh, yeah, I, think, I think the next section is probably one of the 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 most important areas that that we want to and I'll, and I'll go through it pretty quickly but um you know we we want to talk about what are the employer obligations and you know just to take what you were saying a step further we had an employer who gave time off to employees for different reasons they had no idea that they were triggering needed to trigger state disability that the employer didn't have to pay the employee their full salary for the time off but the employee knew so after taking a month off they said oh i want to trigger state disability now now they're out for even longer so for a lot of these leaves the employer has an obligation for job protection so that means that employee's job is protected you they need to have a similar or the same job to come back to. Very often, not only do you need to post this policy in the in the um, at the job site, and if you have remote employees, you have to send it to them electronically. But it may also need to be given to the employees in their hands, and that's where we recommend that we put it into a handbook. And additionally, we see huge lawsuits on retaliation. And that retaliation can be triggered very easily. It's very easy to prove retaliation in the courts. It can simply be, as I said, they didn't tell me about this law leave because they, they don't like me for some reason. Or when I came back, they gave me a bad evaluation. They're retaliating because I was out on a leave. So again, documentation and tracking all of this is very important. And then our next area that we were that I talked about a little bit on the next slide, coordinating these leaves. Oh, Mike, this could definitely be an entire um, you know day that we could go through this, right? Because you know, if an employee, as I said, the most common is woman goes out on 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 uh, maternity, you know, is is FMLA triggered? is there any disability does it trigger americans with disabilities act does the employer have a pto sick policy and how is that integrating with it is there a state sick leave right and how is that integrating with this leave this is why a handbook can't be googled you can't take your handbook and use what you had at a prior employer and, the, and these are the things that i hear from my um organizations when we start to work with them do you have a handbook yeah i just brought the handbook i had at my last employer and we're using it here right 
like we already said, it'll differ for the municipality, the state, it'll differ for how many employees, what the population is, what's the culture, right? Because even though there's, you know, not state laws or federal laws for vacation, do you want to have vacation? Do you want to allow your employees when they're or mandate when they're on FMLA and it doesn't con run concurrent with another leave to take their PTO? Or do you want them to be out on FMLA for 12 weeks, come back and say, oh, now I'm taking two weeks vacation, bye-bye, now I'm out for 14 weeks. So all of this needs to be thought through. Um, and we do this when we're going over an employee handbook, and then we do it again when we go over the leaves. When a leave is triggered, we will unpack each of these issues give our employers the compliant paperwork, right? So for FMLA, for the sick leaves, there's paperwork that you need to give the employee from the federal government or from the state that has those leaves. And the employer should really, in most cases, not be creating their own. They can have supplemental, but you have to make sure that that supplemental communication doesn't interfere with the laws in in that state or that that um, that federal law. So again, coordinating the leaves, understanding the obligation. Every single slide that we've gone through here, Mike, is a plethora of research that each employer needs to do, no matter what state you're in, because there is plenty of federal laws. Yeah, and you know, I love me some Google, but uh, the only thing worse than not having a handbook is having a handbook that is explicitly inaccurate or misrepresents the law, right? A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> okay, uh, let, let let let's wrap with just how, how do we? This is a this is a big can feel slightly nebulous uh, uh, topic, right? Because there's just there's just simply way too much nuance to cover everybody listening today because we have people from li literally today listening will have every industry uh, in every probably every state uh, in the United States in uh, uh, a huge range of, of employer sizes. So not physically possible to go through every single permeation that would apply to every listener. Um, so I think this is just practical guidance, how to be thinking about all these leave types. So what would be your your, your parting guidance, uh, knowing that in subsequent shows, we're gonna go deep on some of these individual topics? So you, you've said it many times, it's knowing the laws. And I think all of our listeners today have taken the first step, right? You're They're trying to educate themselves on these issues and, hopefully realize that in some situations, they're going to need a little bit of assistance. Um, and <clears throat> because when we start administering these leaves, you know, just understanding the law is not going to be enough, right? We always want to be thinking about the Americans with Disabilities Act. And don't forget, we, we sort of, you know, been talking a lot about physical ailments, but under ADA will also be um, religious accommodations that employers need to make and mental accommodations. So um, 
we're hearing a lot of this, you know, due to the pandemic, certainly on the physical and the mental side, um, a lot of stress on a lot of people, as we know, we need to understand how to count our employees, when these leaves are going to be triggered, um, protect ourselves against retaliation claims. And then going back to that handbook, I cannot express enough how important the handbook is. And our last um, webinar that we did together, Mike, it also ties back to your job descriptions, right? Because mm -hmm. when we talk about employees coming back, we need to know what the physical requirements and mental requirements of the job are so that we know, you know, how to look at that doctor's note and understand when they come back, do they need an accommodation? Is there a reasonable accommodation? You know, all of the things that ADA will require, some of those requirements are going to need to be in a well-crafted job description. Yeah, right, right. Um, and coming out of COVID, I think COVID, the the leave type requirements coming out of COVID were so specific and so complex. I, I feel like combine that with the war for talent that has uh, just become so evident. Uh, these these topics are, are are probably have a heightened sense of urgency more more so than ever. Um, anything else you'd want to say as we wrap here, Mary? Yeah, I mean, I agree. Just as a just as a you know, throw up one more thing to everybody to think about. We didn't even cover the COVID leaves because we've covered it in, in other areas, but right. the COVID leaves still exist in many states. And again, coordinating these leaves with the sick leave, with the current PTO policy that an employer has, um, when does COVID become long COVID and, and when is ADA triggered because of COVID? this can get very very complex and i really encourage employers to you know utilize some assistance on these issues all right thanks mary uh you, you know in closing uh this, you know mary said it several times this is what her and her team does right is they understand the laws they work with every single client understand where their employees work where the work is performed uh, what laws apply, which ones don't, based on all these qualifications that, we, that we've talked about. And so um, on the far right, total HR outsourcing, this, is, this would be uh, us as your HR department. Your employees would literally be calling and emailing uh, our team acting on your behalf uh, in, uh, in, in keeping you compliant, helping you to, to think about a talent strategy to attract and retain the best talent. Uh, and we do all that for, call it a quarter of the cost of hiring a, a full-time uh, SHRM certified person. Uh, uh, on the far left, uh, so for even a fraction of, of that, we can be uh, a, 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 an HR support mechanism for your managers. We can build the handbooks, we'll do the research, we'll make sure that all, you and your management team uh, understand the rules and regulations, understand the laws, uh, understand the best practices as you implement and uh, interface directly with your employees. So. Uh, whether you want uh, a, a little support in supporting your management team to be more effective in their their uh, working with their employees, uh, strategic HR where we add on beyond just compliance and have real proactive talent management strategies, or you need uh, help for the entire uh, operation, 
this is exactly what we do. We'd love to partner with you uh, if you so choose. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, payroll, HR, time and intent, software, and HR services. This is what we do to help more than 80,000 customers uh, stay compliant, save time, money, and grow their business. Uh, with that, Mary, thank you so much for joining me. Always learn something every time I talk to you. Thank you, Mike. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks, everyone else, for joining. Bye-bye.